Salutations, you beautiful bags of jelly. Thank you for listening to Respawn Aim Fire. You might recognize this sultry, sexy voice from this show. All previous 96 episodes, plus boring bonus content. That's right, I'm Chad Michael Ennis. I wanted to give a quick disclaimer about this episode. While it is still very entertaining and still easy to listen to, we did have some technical difficulties. Holden unplugged his mic. Another guest had mic trouble throughout. Uh, however, through the magnificent half-assed editing skills of myself, I uh, did just enough work to make it passable that we decided we wouldn't put it up. So, um, if things sound like, oh man, that's weird. I didn't expect someone to laugh at that section. Or, hmm, that's an odd transition. Well, uh, fuck you. But also, thanks for listening. And... In slightly other different news, and completely different news, not slightly other, but completely different news, for the first time, I didn't realize I had accidentally been doing our intro song as mono, enjoy my remix of the Song of Time from Ocarina of Time in stereo. You're welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy. Whoa, haven't started a podcast like this in a while. <laughs> Welcome to Respawn Empire, episode 97. We are the kick-ass irreverent gaming podcast. I am your host, Chad Michael Innes. We've got our usual Holden DePardo right across the country. Say hi, Holden. I am right over here. I'm glad you uh, raised your hand so that everyone could see my hand. listening on the podcast <laughs> services. Uh, and we also have with us two more guests on the year of guests this year. Um... Say hi, Anton Six, host, co-host of the Cheesy Controller Podcast. I got all the right stuff, right? Well, host, host, but co-host God as damn well. It. <laughs> uh, oh, no. So Anton's joining us here. We've also got Aaron, who is a dad gamer. Say hi, Aaron. Hi, my name's Aaron. Perfect. Um, we are very, very much making the distinction that he is a dad who happens to be a gamer. It's very important for us to make the distinction... <laughs> From the title of Dad Gamer, because that has its own connotations. So, I don't know what those be, but if they are offensive, then you're a rude person for thinking them. Let's jump into our podcast a little bit. I want to give you guys an opportunity to introduce the world to who you are. So, you, you, um, both of you guys reached out after we advertised on Kind of Funny Games Daily that we're looking for people to help host with us because it's super fun when we have guests. And both of you guys said, hi, I'd like to do that. And we said, that sounds stupendous. Please be on our show. But I want people to know, maybe plug a little bit about what you do, what your favorite games are, um, if there's any content you would love for them to come check out. Uh, let's start with a, ga- a dad gamer, Aaron. Hi, my name is Aaron. I'm a dad gamer, which is a gamer that's a dad. Uh, like playing games with fellow friends and playing whenever i get a chance awesome anton bringing yes. it over to you tell us about yourself okay so i'm anton six host of the cheesy controller podcast um we've been doing the podcast for just over two years now we started in january 2017 i come to the podcast like the reason i hosted the podcast is because me and my friends would always just sit around and talk about games and one of my friends said, why don't we just put a microphone in front of you guys? This would be great content. So we started We started going to a place called Jack's Pizza in Atlanta. And we just, they had uh, $4.40 Fridays. And so we'd get a slice of pizza That's and a, a 40. 
and uh, <laughs> sit around my laptop, and we just built-in microphone, and we did it for weeks like that. And then I remember, so I'm a big fan of Kind of Funny like you guys are, and so I remember Greg's advice was just consistency. If there's something you want to do, just do it, have a specialty, and just be consistent, and you'll find an audience. So once we proved we had consistency, we had content, we could talk about not just the same three games all the time that <laughs> all of us had like really diverse backgrounds and would follow different gaming channels. Like we follow different people on Twitter and Twitch. And so we all experience games differently. And we, so we all bring a unique perspective to the table. Um, that's just something that we've been doing on the podcast for two years now and a lot of it is because of kind of funny and just greg like his birthday is two days away from mine and i just see a lot of myself in him i've been listening to kind of funny content since i was in well not greg and colin content and tim and nick like the more that i listen to them i'm like oh you guys are responsible for that video at ig yeah that, like is on my myspace page from a million years ago <laughs> So, yeah, it's, that's me, Cheesy Controller that's Podcast dope. guy. We have a very <laughs> similar story to you. That's awesome. Um, we are also two years old as of yeah. the end of this. As of this week. Actually, this is going to be. This is yeah. our two year. Oh, man. I wish years. we had planned yeah. something. Oh. <laughs> All right. We'll have to do something next week. Well, I think we week. plan for the episode 100 is to be the big one for us. Oh, That's okay. right. Because episode 100 is coming up in a month. Yeah. So, yeah. dope. Awesome. I'm very excited to have you guys on the podcast. Let's jump in with some very interesting news from Nintendo. We're going to open yeah. up our quest log to the Nintendo section. And we're going to talk about a rumor that Platinum Games' Scalebound, remember that dragon game where the guy wore Beats headphones, <laughs> is being revived as a Nintendo Switch exclusive. This comes from Damian McFerrin at Nintendo Life. The idea is that the director of this game, whose name I'm blanking on and Holden didn't write it down because he's <laughs> terrible <laughs> at his job. <laughs> um, when Microsoft canceled the project... Uh, this this is his dream game. This is like this is the game I've always wanted to make, and right. it sounds like Nintendo might be picking up the publishing rights to it, which might be dope. What are your guys' feelings on this? Well, I do have something to mention quickly before we get into the discussion. One of the former people who worked on Scalebound has come out and tweeted. He said, "Shit, I don't know. I don't work there anymore, and haven't um, talked to anyone about it. But I highly doubt this is a thing." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And do you guys James know where the Cook. rumor actually started? It was no. the rumor came from the episode of Kind of Funny Games Daily the day before the Nintendo Direct. And they had on a guest who was one of their many Mr. Nintendos. And he right. said mm -hmm. a franchise that everyone thinks is just completely dead yes. is going yeah. to be revived by Nintendo. And so mm -hmm. this rumor started before the Nintendo Direct, but then by the time the next day the and the direct rolled around we found out that it's not at all scale bound because just with the timing of the direct if we were going to get an announcement of a scale bound re-revival it would have been that direct oh really because why that direct specifically because that was so the 
all of the people who wrote articles on it who cited their sources cited mm. that episode of Kind of Funny Games Daily as, oh, this person who would be in the know about the inner workings of Nintendo is saying that this franchise is going to be reborn tomorrow at the Nintendo Direct. Oh, okay. So just the Direct they were talking about in the conversation where the rumor started. They what just, game was it then? What game was revived from being canceled? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't think we ended up actually seeing it in the direct. Right. Yeah. I mean, Link's that Awakening was, yeah. was never canceled. That was always a thing. So <laughs> that back. that's okay. I didn't know about the uh, the like on the Nintendo Direct stuff, but I did read. Yeah, I didn't know about that. Uh, either, the yeah. Nintendo Life article that we reference actually referenced Nintendo Insider. That you're right, did mention kind of funny, but right. they also said they had their own sources that they felt confident in. I don't know how much I trust Nintendo Insider, but God, I want this to happen. You guys have no... I freaking love dragons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, dragons are so cool. If, it's, it's just a... another... We have Bayonetta 3 coming. We have Devil May Cry 5 coming. It's just another game in that vein that could be highly polished and would really... Just like a high-quality AAA Japanese over-the-top stylish action game. Yep. With dragons. My thing, though, is that that game seems like it should be on an Xbox or PS4. Is the six-inch Switch screen how you want to play that epic fighting bigger monsters than you've ever seen before? I mean, that's how they pitched that game at at E3 when they talked about it is, look at this gigantic boss. It's the biggest boss that we've ever had in a Platinum Games. I'm not looking forward to seeing that on a six-inch screen. I don't know. It just seems like other consoles would be better tailored for that. They all did pitch it as a multiplayer game with the Switch being portable. Being able to play with your friends, uh, you know, other dragons coming in. Yeah. It does kind of make sense, but I do understand what you're saying. Graphically, it wouldn't look good. And yeah. with the robust like, reliability of the Nintendo online service. But it's not even it's not even the graphical capabilities. It's the scale. The seeing the scale of something that scale huge on bound. a small screen. <laughs> um, I think that's worth mentioning. I Are mean, you saying I that our experience Zenob- would be bound by the scale of the game? <laughs> <laughs> when I was playing Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which to be fair, I didn't play uh, the whole game, but a lot of the areas were very, very large, and I liked playing that on the big screen. But as soon as I went to the small screen... The resolution would drop a lot, and I couldn't see the fine details that made that environment being so vast stick mm-hmm. out. And it, I just it didn't work for me when I went to handheld, specifically with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles Two. Yeah, I'd have a similar concern for this one. So it's not necessarily the graphics; it's just the scale of everything translating. Well, Hold Bayonetta it. has just Bayonetta One and Two work really well on the Switch, and Bayonetta has a lot of large scale battles and a lot of really okay. over the top. It's a platinum game, so okay. when I think platinum games i think things near automata vanquish mm-hmm. bayonetta i just think about the platinum legacy oh, and i think about the ways and the places those games have worked mm-hmm. and i mean bayonetta on the switch is the best bayonetta was one of my first ps3 games and i've everywhere i have it on steam and playing it on switch handheld or docked it works really well even with the scale and breath mm-hmm. of the wild as well there were the yeah, huge dragons. Point. There were like the giant mountains, like Death Mountain had a scale to it. There were a lot of yeah. things that that game did really well with scale on the Switch. 
and just going back to Bayonetta, because in Breath of the Wild, you're right, they had big dragons, but the dragons never really took up, like, the entire screen. Like, I went back and rewatched the Scalebound E3 demo from, like, a few years ago, and the, the enemy, the boss they show off, it takes up more than the entire screen. Is there anything in Bayonetta like that? Like, because that, that's the big thing that I'm worried about. How is that in Bayonetta? Is there anything, like, full screen size monsters? Yeah, fighting? yeah. they're just, okay. like, super giant, over-the-top, like, angels and demons that are just... They start off like maybe twice your size, but by the time you're done, mm-hmm. it's like a multi-phase boss battle and you're like jumping around like a giant exploding cathedral and it's just over Chad, the top. Can you tell me this about huge. Bayonetta? I'd be playing Bayonetta right now. This sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Bayonetta is awesome. A must play. Holden, I think you're underestimating two things. One, if this game is ever going to happen, mm-hmm. this is the only way it's going to happen. That's true. That's true. And but I want it to happen. happen. So oh, that's the first You want thing. it to happen. You underestimate my <laughs> want and my desires. <laughs> Two, you have a dock, dude. You have a dock yeah. and a pro controller. Yeah, but yeah. most people play the Switch in handheld mode. Okay, that is anecdotal at best. Yeah. No, I think Nintendo themselves have confirmed this. Most people play in handheld mode. You started that, they... that statistic with, I think, <laughs> Nintendo. <laughs> and I think I know the report you're talking about, and I think it was more people used it primarily in docked than in handheld. Oh, oh. <laughs> no, it was like 50% handheld, and only 20% of people used it in dock specifically. Well, I mean, And Smash... the remaining 30% was hybrid. Uh... There's no way it's mostly docked. There's no way. I'm going to find <laughs> There's these. no way it's mostly docked. Mine it's stays no docked mostly. Mine stays docked just because I don't play it right now. And I don't want it to die. <laughs> yeah, because you leave it out the dock and it's just dead. Yep. Two it's no PlayStation Vita. Let's say that. <laughs> I think it depends on most nope. games. Because when I played Zelda undocked, it died within maybe an hour or two. Anyway. Then when I started playing Pokemon Go on it, Let's Go, it lasted almost three or four hours long. Well, dang. Yeah. Yeah. It There's, with the Switch battery life, there is a, if you're playing something heavy duty, like I tried to play Doom in it handheld just to see what that game would be like. Uh-huh. And that didn't last at all. But then <laughs> something like I was playing Downwell in Tate mode because I got the flip grip. So I'll play Downwell and Ikaruga and any games that support the sideways orientation of the switch uh-huh. and it lasted several hours wow that's dope hold on you look like you haven't found that statistic no it's about. um ours technically <laughs> here nintendo this is from june 28th 2018 nintendo docked and undocked play um time for switch is about even oh, oh okay. shit so we're both wrong <laughs> no both wrong. i'm right and you're both wrong so no but this go. is where oh wait, wait a second I'm just saying that statistic would improve where, towards this is I, scale. This is where I got my information from. In the article, also quotes: "Back in October, Nintendo shared an investor presentation showing roughly 30% of early Switch owners primarily use their systems um, undocked, meaning 80% or more of the time. Less than 20% of owners uh, had a similar um, primary bias toward docked mode." So you're you're right. Um, it was primarily docked mode for the early uh, users, and then as time has gone on, it's evened out. Okay. Oh hell yeah! Yeah. I, I mean, bet you feel humbled as people. fuck right now. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, let's move on to another piece of Nintendo news, one that might be equally as disappointing. Reggie Fizeme is departing in April. 
This comes from Logan Moore at Jewel Shockers, but also straight from a video of Reggie himself. Uh, April 15th, tax day, will be his last day. I don't know if that has any coincidence or, like, purposeful thing, but... Probably um, does. Doug Bowser will be coming back, or not coming back, he's part of Nintendo right now. Doug Bowser will be taking <laughs> over. He was previously senior VP of sales and marketing. And uh, what I really want to point people in the direction of is there's an IGN article of Reggie fils 10 Best Moments that I think is really fun <laughs> to go look at. So go take a look at that article. Uh, he's the guy who came out on stage at E3 and introduced himself to the world by saying, <laughs> I forget the quote exactly. He's like, I'm kicking ass, taking names, and we're about making games. <laughs> it's freaking great. Yeah. A lot of the things Reggie did, like there are a lot of very memorable moments. Like recently when he was on the Game Awards stage and he came out with Phil Spencer and Sean Layden from Sony and Microsoft and they had that moment opening the Game Awards with just three of the presidents of gaming, three of the biggest mm-hmm. faces just on sharing one stage. And it was just, for me, I talked about this on my podcast, I took my phone and I took a picture of the screen because it was just such a moment that I, beautiful. I was like, I'm, there are going to be screenshots of this all over Twitter later, but I just have to have, like, it has the Your table I was moment. sitting at, and just, yeah. this is the, this was a moment in gaming. Yeah, that's dope. I feel like Reggie fils is, like, the the badass, but also professional. Like, he's he's the, the really badass professional of everyone in the gaming industry like if you think about sean Layden or or phil spencer or anyone who who (laughs) represents these companies reggie's just like got this this edge to him this cool streak he's almost like the real life professional version of kevin butler you remember him (laughs) (laughs) kevin butler was fun but he didn't represent the company in a way that reggie fils does right reggie's an actual person kevin butler was just an actor Gave right. one of the greatest speeches of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just glad to see that he's leaving on his own terms. It's something like there was a reshuffle because, yeah. like, you know, there was some sort of issue with like the next console not selling well or something like that. And he had to get Reggie out of that. I'm glad he's leaving on his own terms because he's such an awesome. Nothing, nothing in his career has been tainted. That's great. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's kind of rare that you see that actually. Exactly. Yeah. Right, with Kojima leaving Konami and with Amy Henning leaving Naughty Dog. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of departures in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Don Matrick with Microsoft. There yep. are a lot of departures in the industry that aren't, we can't look fondly upon. Like everything with Reggie, he just wanted to spend more time with his family. It's a great, he did a lot for the industry. There, It's not like... There are any accusations or there are a lot of problems that could be going on. Oh, with thank someone God leaving he's not leaving because of some like disgusting sexual harassment right. thing. That right. Right. Just... I don't think he can handle it. anything like that happened in Nintendo. It, it would just ruin me. It, I, <laughs> It'd yep. be horrible. I couldn't take right. it. I couldn't take it. If another hero. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, that's pretty dope. Anyone have anything else Nintendo related to bring up? Uh, no. No. Great. Let's talk about playtime. What the hell did you play this week? I'll go first because mine is really short. It's Bioshock 2. You guys know that. It's our barf game this month. But remember, if you're playing along with us, it is not only just Bioshock 2. You're also to play Minerva's Den, which was the real motivation in making this a barf game because apparently it's the best DLC ever made. So make sure you're playing both. We will be talking about that 
on February 28th. That should go live late that night after we record the episode. And if everything goes as planned, we will have a special guest join us for that episode. Ooh. Um, someone whom all of you know, whether you've, <laughs> you've actually probably never listened to him or heard him or seen him, but you know of him. <laughs> so that's all I played this week. <clears throat> Didn't even play Beat Saber. What a oh, wow. terrible that's week it was for me. Man. Did you just, were you just dead all week? Like what happened? <laughs> it was a busy week. Calm down. <laughs> Holden, what did you play? I'll start off with a small game, porn. and then I'll go to Metro Exodus. But I played I Am Bread for the first time this week. I was at a, a friend's house, and he showed me a video uh, he uh, of uh, a YouTube channel he likes. They were playing I Am Bread, and I'm like, you know, I've never played I Am Bread. He's like, you should come over and play I Am Bread. I played it for 10 minutes because it's so fucking frustrating to play that game. <laughs> <laughs> it's hysterical, though. If people don't know the game, you are a piece of bread who's trying to toast itself, and you can't touch the ground because you have to be as edible and clean as possible when you're toasted. And you have to control each corner of the bread using the bumper buttons and the trigger buttons on your controller. So you have to, like, hit L, um, LB and R2 to, like, swivel in a certain direction. And it's just – it's crazy. It's it's fun. Thank God I think it's only a few dollars to buy. If this was, like, a $15 game, I wouldn't recommend it because <laughs> it's so <laughs> frustrating. Um, but I do think it's the kind of game that if you stick with it and enjoy those kind of, like um, – Almost like the controls are maniacal and out to get you, basically. If you enjoy that kind of thing, you'll like this game. It's like Octodad. It's the same guys who make Octodad made oh, this. Okay. Yeah. That sounds terrible uh, for me. I mean, I'm sure it's <laughs> hilarious and funny to watch, but I, I couldn't. It play is it. really <laughs> funny to watch. I got stuck in the refrigerator and I couldn't get past the refrigerator because the door kept opening. And I'm like just a piece of bread stuck to the side of the fridge trying to flop over it. But the door keeps opening and I keep getting away from the counter. And it was just, it was a mess. It was a <laughs> I mess. I can imagine. <laughs> but then I played Metro Exodus. Um, Should I buy this game? Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yes. What? Yeah. So here's the story. So Chad and I played Metro 2033 for Barf last year, I believe. I pitched it because I really wanted Chad to play it. I like the Metro series. I know it's the most Wait, polished series ever. I forgot that was your second time playing that game. It was my second time. You playing put me that through game. that for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and he hated it so much. But he's fallen for the marketing of the game completely. Yeah. So I told him I would text him and tell him what I thought. I did the first mission of the game, and I'm like, oh, this is identical to Metro, you know, with, with some uh, nice additions um, to crafting and things like that. But Chad's not going to like it. It's just the same linear style. And then literally the next area is this open world uh, sandbox kind of um, like a single scenario in this open area you have to deal with. Right. And it is so good at jumping from – that linear style, narrow pathway shooter to an open environment. Quick background, people who don't know what the game is about, because I just jumped into it. I'm very excited about this. <laughs> it takes place in Moscow, post-apocalyptic, in the year 2035. And at this point, um, RTM and the people living in the metros underground realize that they can leave. I'm not going to get into why they realize they leave, but the reasons are for that, because the story is honestly incredible so far. When they leave, things open up in a way the series has never done before. The game is the series has always been linear, going through subway tunnels essentially. But the open areas change the dynamic completely without losing what it feels like to be isolated, to feel claustrophobic, to feel like you never have enough to make it by. Like it just handles all the resource management and and the survival so so well. I don't want to get into the the story at all, but I'm telling you, Chad, there is a moment. There's a story point early on that was so surprising 
I cannot think of a, a bigger twist in a game that I've played before. But I, have I, you played Super Mario Land 2 and the Six Golden Coins <laughs> where Wario is the final boss? Good points. That does sound yep. like an amazing twist. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say what the twist is because it's really important that you see it yourself. What I will say is in the trailer for the story trailer for the game, I saw the scene and thought, oh man, in the trailer they showed too much. But then I got to that point in the game and realized they just cut so much out of it and the whole dynamic of that scene changed from what I thought it was in the story trailer. I, I can't say anymore, but I'm like, I'm literally wanting people to play this game so badly so I can just be like, oh my god, weren't you just like shitting your pants too when that happened? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's really amazing so far. That said, this is a double A game with triple A ambitions. Um, Deep Silver, I think, is the studio. A4 Games is the studio. Um, they do an amazing job, but you can tell that they didn't have the budget to do everything as well as they wanted to. It's so, like animations can be a little awkward sometimes, just like in the last two Metro, game, uh, Metro games. Um, children still sound like adults. Luckily, there's only one child so far I've really had to talk to, so it's not so bad. But there's still the wonkiness like that. Like, there are some artifacting yeah. and cutscenes. Like, there's still things that, like, keep it from being truly a great game yeah it has these um these moments of awkwardness now whereas i feel like in the past games you had moments of greatness with overall awkwardness and i feel like it's kind of the opposite or it's a great game with some moments of awkwardness so i feel like they flipped it and i'm very happy that this series is going in um a very very positive direction i'm i'm unbelievably pumped it's not perfect there's some some flaws but i don't honestly think that any of the flaws thus far have detracted from the experience i don't think they should for anybody either it's really how, an exceptional game how are the one of the biggest points of this game that i hated was I'm that i'm halfway through by the way just so people know i'm halfway through the game i haven't beaten it yet. oh wow oh gotcha one of the, one of the biggest points that i hated about the first one was that it wasn't scary to me or overwhelming because the main type of, of mutant enemy, like his animation was just, it looked like a mutant pig just bouncing on a pogo stick, no matter how, no matter oh, what he was doing. Like that animation those, was terrible. Um, the monsters are great. Okay. I wouldn't say the monsters are the scariest part. This is definitely a game where the people are the scariest part <clears throat> so far. Okay. Okay. But monster um, animations are good? Yeah, monster animations have been great so far. All right. Um, okay. There are definitely, again, like there's some, there's some wonky, actually, I can think of one monster animation that's not, the greatest um and it makes it kind of annoying to get headshots on that monster but no it, it hasn't been too bad it also just might be those things too where i'm so overwhelmed by how great the world is that i just have looked past that because usually when there's monsters around it's so chaotic and hectic that i'm not like looking super carefully at every little motion that monsters are making i'm more worried about all the fucking monsters that are all over the place and the fact that i only have 10 more bullets and i don't know what i'm going to do is it fair to compare it to Fallout 4 minus the vets? I actually have compared it to Fallout 4 in the sense that it's a linear Fallout 4 with no like uh, um, complete openness for you to do anything oh, you want right. to. Even the open areas are very structured. Yeah, um, it's more but it's also akin has to Wolfenstein from what I've seen. Like the uh, modern Wolfenstein yeah. games are similar to that's all you had to say. Games. Okay. No, I'd say like think <laughs> Fallout, but without the the wit and the kind of um, humor. humor that keeps you yeah. going throughout. Yeah. Man, yeah, so you guys, are, you're saying things that are like roping me in, and then you're just shoving me away, and then you're roping me in, and then you're shoving me away. 
It's like, I, I'll say it right now, Chad, if I told you the twist of this, you'd be like, holy shit, I do have to play this game. It's that great. Do you have to have played Last Light? Because I will Absolutely not Absolutely not. You do okay. not have to have played Last Light. This, you don't even have to have played the first two games at all, I would oh, say. Oh, cool. Like, literally, all you need to know is they live underground in the, the metro tunnels of Moscow oh. because the world's gone to shit. That's it. That's all you need to know. Metro. I get it. Yeah. We get it. Now. <laughs> I get it. Makes it. sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm totally enamored so far. I have also heard... Um, online that the story does not end great so i'm really bummed about that because it is already one of my favorite video game stories and i'm like no why is it gonna get bad Aww. maybe it doesn't i'll judge for myself when i get there but yeah maybe those I'm people just concerned. have bad taste because the the <laughs> chatter around the game is that it wasn't showing well at e3 last time but now it's like surprisingly really really good and it's like in the high yeah. 80s on metacritic right now yeah and the gunplay too is phenomenal uh, every gun sounds great. Oh my god, the sound effects are so good. All the guns. That's another thing gu- I had a trouble with last time was the guns sounded like little toys. No, they do not sound like little <laughs> okay. toys this time around. Um, and Pew. also, again, but when you're in different environments, the guns will sound differently. Because again, in the desert area, for example, the um, the guns will have like an echo almost, like across the. It's just kind of cool. That's hot. Um, and that's something too is there's a desert. Like, that's already very unusual for the Metro series. They usually take in, – yeah. they're usually entirely underground, and you go up to some snowy, um, desolate city for a little while, and then that's it. Like, that's that's the variety you get. And this, so far, I've, I've been – we'll just say I've been to a desert. That should tell you that it's very different from the other games. So it's a fantastic departure. I highly recommend it. If, if you did not like Metro games before, don't use that as a reason to not play this one unless you just didn't like the survival mechanics. Because it is definitely heavily survival based still. Cool. I can't wait to play it when it goes on sale. Aaron, what have you been playing this week? So I've been playing Anthem. Anthem! Tell us about your experience with Anthem. Got it on launch night. Which launch? uh, Which of the hundred launches did you get it on? The official night. So (laughs) Thursday night, 9pm my time. When they Game finally came out. I went home, installed it, and been playing. I am now level nineteen. The level cap is thirty. Yeah. Okay. I'm level nineteen. I have three of the javelins so far. Been liking it. What's the best javelin? Uh, well, I started with the ranger. Now I've been liking the cloth. You don't see too many people rocking the Colossus. Yeah, everyone's talking about how great the storm is, but I haven't heard anyone talk about the Colossus at all. Yeah, the Colossus is just. Literally, when you get strong enough, you can run through these enemies and you have set up with good combos with the good with the right teammates. You have right team. God, this is a game that I want to get. What? Uh, tell me about the story a little bit. That's what I'm most curious about. I'm probably not the best person to be asking about the story because <laughs> honestly, the gameplay is what's been hooking me. I've been skipping a lot of the cutscene. There's a twist with the story that I caught, but I was like, "What? Well, didn't see that coming." But story wise, I haven't been paying too much attention. I've gotten the vibe that if you're interested in gameplay, this is the game for you. If you're interested in a Bioware RPG, you should not get Anthem. That's kind of the vibe I've been getting. How do you feel about that? Yeah. I mean, I would say that the story is there. To me, that's not the focus. Mm-hmm. You focus, you want to get cool javelins, cool guns, and you want to do blow stuff up. Yeah. I mean, that was my that was my intention going into Destiny and Destiny 2. And I think that if I were to play Anthem, that's what it's going to be for that one, too. 
and I'm right on the cusp of just breaking down and buying it. <laughs> I would. I've been having a lot of fun just leveling it up, blowing stuff up, and uh, the map looks small right now, but according to their roadmap, it looks like there's a lot more room for it to open up. There's a lot more. That's awesome. Um, if you were to say, like, does it look like it's a game that's going to get a lot better with end game content and DLC? Like, should people hold off and wait, or do you think it's worth jumping into full price right now? For your money wise, I'd say it'd probably be best to hold off. Oh, really? Yes, because right now there's only one stronghold at the time, and you can only do that ever so many times grandmaster grandmaster 2 after that's going to become really tedious if you want more content available to you i suggest you just hold on to drops is a stronghold similar to like a strike in destiny or more like a raid yes more of like a strike okay i haven't seen too many much of a raid yet okay are you playing with a squad of people too or are you just playing with randos well i met a guy on the discord we've been leveling up together but pretty much, I've been also playing by myself. The matchmaking seems pretty quick. You're waiting just 20 seconds to be matched. The only okay. long part is part is the loading screen. Still long. There's still, even after the day one patch, you're still having issues with loading screens. Yes, and there was another day, but not day one patch. Second day patch, which is another 10 gigs. I thought pitched a lot of stuff, but no, it's still a little bit. You gotta wait. Oh, that's disappointing. I'm sure, like, Bloodborne, it'll eventually get there. <laughs> <laughs> right, all the changes they put into Bloodborne over the lifespan of that Games as Service poster child. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I meant. The load times. From Software led the charge on Games as <laughs> Awesome. Aaron, do you have anything else you uh, played this week? Nope. Just pretty much Anthem is all. Dope. Anton, what's on your playtime list? I have been playing a lot of Apex Legends and Fortnite. I'm trying to get my Season 8 Ooh, Battle both. Pass. Yeah. Okay. It's I can cleanse from one game playing another because <laughs> despite them both being Battle Royale, there's a lot of... I play with different people on both games, and then there's a lot of different mechanics and there are a lot of different so like i'll switch to apex and be trying to build or i'll switch to fortnite and i'll be (laughs) trying to revive and so there's kind of like a back and forth between them but it's for me right now overwatch is waning i'm having a lot of fun watching the overwatch league i'm cheering for atlanta rain but outside of that there's a lot of fatigue in my entire overwatch group everyone's fallen off so a lot of my overwatch friends are playing apex and a lot of the people who i played fortnite with before because i had my account on playstation and then i made an account for my switch which i played between my switch and my xbox and when cross-platform was still not an issue with playstation my PlayStation account was locked to my PlayStation, and then I had my Xbox account, which was linked to my Switch, but I'd primarily play on Xbox with people over um, on that end. And then they said, account merging is coming. 
And at that point, I had moved into my game room studio, and I don't have my Xbox in here. I just have my PS4 and my Switch. And so I was like, okay, I'll play Overwatch. I'll play Apex. I just, when account merging comes, then I'll be able to play Fortnite on my Pro because playing anything cross-platform, I have the S- the Xbox One S, mm-hmm. and so just games across the board look best on my Pro versus the S. So right. now, especially, I've upgraded recently to a 4K monitor and a 4K TV. Just the resolution, the S just can't keep up. It's like things are running at like slower <laughs> frame rates, lower resolutions, and it's just so. Fortnite, I merged my accounts, they announced it a couple weeks ago, and then I couldn't use my account on my PlayStation at all for about a week. And then, so within the last week, I got into my Fortnite account, and in two days, did 50 days worth of challenges. Holy shit! (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just went into full grind mode, but that is... I was just so excited to be back in the game because (laughs) Apex, it has the... All you can do in that game is kill and win. And I don't feel like that's enough of a carrot to keep me there. Like, I've won a couple games. Like, I've gotten a handful of kills on, like, a bunch of the different legends. And I'm looking forward to when they add their battle pass because that's my favorite aspect of Fortnite. You're not landing to just kill and win. You're landing to... Dance in forbidden zones and to do a shooting range and to like ring doorbells in different locations and shoot <laughs> golden balloons. And there's just a laundry list of things to do. And so it's fun to continuously drop over and over and not really worry about where you're placing in the hundred people, just like going in and having essentially a quest log to just go in and knock out. It was the same thing why I enjoyed Spider-Man so much. Spider-Man was just a laundry list of things to go in and do, and it wasn't... I could go catch a pigeon, or I could go find a backpack, or I could go... Wait, you can catch a pigeon? Is that a thing? That's oh, cool? hell yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's kind of, a lot of pigeons. It's, so, it's actually a kind of a cool little side quest. I didn't yeah. even know that was a thing. That's awesome. So that's one of the things that I hope Apex gets that. I hope Apex has more of a when their battle pass comes out because Fortnite you can grind and constantly win and constantly be trying to have as many kills as possible to level up your battle pass but it's honestly more efficient to just go through and focus on your challenges and knock them out week by week but since season 7 is in overtime right now I have all 10 weeks worth of challenges plus they have a additional set of challenges that if you finish 13 of them and i finished 11 of those you get your free season 8 battle pass yeah oh i did hear that yeah now people are like going crazy for trying to get a free battle pass yeah get that free battle pass because they didn't give that much time to do it and it really seems like in response to apex because there are a lot of people who even i played Fortnite with who've completely gone over to apex so it's more of a the people that they're losing, it's an incentive to get back into the game and play in this concentrated window of time where right now Fortnite has a lot more than Apex. So even if you're playing Apex with a lot of your time, you come over to Fortnite and they added new... So even if you finished all your 
Season 7 challenges. Now they're adding challenges progressively to help you earn a free battle pass, which then now next season is free to play, but you get the premium content. So Right. That's dope. They did announce Battle Pass coming for Apex in March, right? Yeah. Yeah. Should be coming soon. Not too far away. Right. I'm hoping it's early March because just the window of March, it could be the last day of March. And I don't feel like Apex in its current state can survive that long. It might suffer from the same burnout a lot of people had with PUBG and Blackout because... Since PUBG was an interesting thing, I listened to a lot of podcasts and a lot of people talking about like the moments they had in PUBG that just really interested me. Like I'm more usually more of like I'm doing raids in Destiny or I'm playing with like a full team in Overwatch trying to do comp, trying to work with a larger group. But Battle Royale, my favorite way to play Fortnite is solo because it's just a... Uh, I feel I can feel the progression of my skills in battle royales better than I can in something like Overwatch, where my rank has been stagnant for seasons. Like I, no matter what I do, I'm pretty much high silver, low gold, no matter what. But I feel you. Apex and stuff like that. I can see the progression of like, okay, so that game I got three kills. That game we came in second place. That game we won without. Having, we killed like one person each and then just hid where we thought the circle would end and it ended there and we just won because people got stuck in the storm. That sense of progression is so important, which yeah. is why I think Zelda Breath of the Wild is boring, but this podcast is not all about me. That's, <laughs> that's going to wrap it up for our playtime segment. We're going to move on to a part where we talk about our fetch quests, which are those quests that are just, like, worth mentioning, but not too much to say. So we're going to jump in. We've got three of them. One, Untitled Goose Game gets delayed to late 2019, quote, to make the best goose game possible. There's a lot of competition. (laughs) There are so many goose games out there. Absolutely. they got to delay it. I'm really looking forward to this one. Uh, It looks so funny. (laughs) It looks great. It looks like... You know, around the, the type of humor of, like, I am bread and goat simulator and stuff like that, but, like, more charming. But not more frustrating in terms yeah. of controls. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it just seems like you're being a troll. Like, you just get to yeah. be, yep. mess with NPCs, and it's a great outlet. Yeah. I think – I God, I wish I could remember Kotaku's article for this. Like, their headline was, like, Asshole Goose Delays Game or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. It's because it said uh, the the trailer, the, the little video that they played to show that it was being delayed said, coming early 2019. And then the goose comes, bites onto early and just drags it off the screen. <laughs> and then it's like, oh, coming later in 2019. <laughs> Sometime in 2019. <laughs> um, and then we also have Google to unveil gaming project at GDC 2019 in March. Uh, this is probably going to be, I think, the evolution of whatever that project stream was uh whatever they like maybe reveal the results of it how they're looking to implement it improve upon it and then i think personally that they're not going to have any kind of hardware associated with it i think it's just going to be a streaming yeah. service but some people are think are saying like yeah. oh yeah every chromecast will be able to do it but it's like i don't i don't think you'll need a chromecast to do it i think you can literally do it from everything else 
Right. Yeah. I think anything that can run anything Google, like if you have the Google Assistant and a Chromecast or you have any Google hardware, like because you can use Google on iOS, you can use Google on Apple TV, you can use Google in all these different places. I don't think you'd necessarily need a Chromecast, but that could be a extremely low price option for people to, <laughs> if let's say you have a display like you have a monitor, but it's not really a smart monitor and you don't have anything like I have a PS4 and a switch hooked up to my monitor. If I could just plug in a Chromecast and then also that is now my Google console hooked up. I could see that as a low price option, but I see there being a lot of different options. Yeah. Google's not a, that'd be like an Apple thing to do. Hey, we have a streaming service and here's a box that we're going to sell along with it because we want to make money right. off the box. Google is platform agnostic. They want that to be on as many devices as possible. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they push the Chromecast as the main way to play it on the TV, right. but you could easily just plug in your laptop into the TV, use Chrome, same thing. Like that's, it's going to be everywhere. Dope. And I'm then finally, Sony officially drops price for both Detroit Become Human and Spider-Man. Detroit is now 20 bucks. Spider-Man is now 40 bucks. This is an official price drop, not just a discount, and everyone should play these games. Holden, <laughs> play these games. <laughs> I'm very tempted now by Detroit. I'm very... At $20, yeah. it kind of seems like a no-brainer. Yeah. I've been wanting to get into it, too. You enjoyed Heavy Rain, right, Holden? Yeah, I mean, I didn't love it, but I think I didn't love it because it, it's it's kind of dated yeah. at this point. God, I um, can't wait for you to play Detroit. But I love the idea so much so that I'd like to play Detroit. I also just love uh science fiction about artificial intelligence in particular so i just mm-hmm. I, I should play that game it's twenty dollars I, I know i know it's at this point it's cheaper than getting a season of a tv show on itunes and it's basically a tv show <laughs> in terms of it's, it's yeah. like that's what yeah. it is <laughs> it's 27 it's snicker bars from a um vending machine it's everything <laughs> netflix wanted bandersnatch to be oh <laughs> yeah I but also like spider-man you did? What was that? Yeah, I really like Bandersnatch. Just from like a... Because one of the guys on our podcast is a game developer. Just from like mm-hmm. my perspective as a gamer, it there were some things that were kind of... They didn't play out as well as you could tell they were trying to have them play out. Yeah. But it yeah. definitely was overall something that I was recommending for weeks. I was like, mm-hmm. if you like games, if you're a gamer, if you... Because sure, yeah. everyone on our podcast knows the developer just to mm-hmm. see the game development touches they had and the kind of just re- small references that were in there that just kind of helped build that aspect of it. Once it went yeah. Black Mirror on us, that's when it started to lose the things. But earlier on in the story that it started off really strong and with a really good foundation yeah. of game design and theory and working with publishers and yeah. having a vision and just a lot of the things that go into game development. Yeah. I, I agree with all that stuff that the beginning of Bandersnatch was the best part of it. I disagree that it delved into black mirror too much. I don't think it was black mirror at all. It was just weird. What was black mirror about it? Besides the name just of the episode, like the dystopian aspect of it, because like a lot of black mirror episodes start off as like an ideological, like advancement mm-hmm. goes 
in the farthest dystopian direction it could go. Totally. But there's usually a tangible like this is a a future where we have like these memory glands or this is a future where, um, you know, we have this dating app where it's just, it's simulating our, our love life. And But what was the thing? There was no thing. It just depended on what ending you came to and there's something weird that happened. Like I never got a vibe that there was that thing that you could tangibly say this is the thing that makes a black mirror. It, it was just – well, it was when he started to realize that there was no, he had no control and mm-hmm. that it was when they were literal fourth wall breaking, like, who are you? And we're Netflix. And that was really when, and then. Yeah, but that was only one part of it. And it, it could have been Netflix. It could have been uh, like the CBD product, whatever it was, like the CBD project thing. Right. Um, yeah. There wasn't, that's my point, that there wasn't a tangible thing. You're right. They had like some weird dystopian thing that's going in the background, but it was never stated. Therefore, it didn't have that Black Mirror magic for me. Like, oh, I should be wary of this future for this reason or wary of this concept for this reason. Right. And that's where I just kind of left not having anything like that. Okay. Yeah, I could yeah. definitely see that as like an issue. There are a lot of issues with Bandersnatch. It's just something that, because of a lot of the strong parts in the beginning, I still hold it. And no, you're definitely right about that. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. If you guys are interested in watching anything else about like early game development, I think Halt and Catch Fire is also a really cool yeah look at that show. too. So check that. I out. I haven't finished that, but I'm like season two right now. I like that show. I've been needing to get into that. Season yeah. one is all about like computers in general, but then season two is much more about gaming. Mm-hmm. But it's dope. I think it's also is it somewhat based on truish events? Like it take like an actual in- incident in the industry Kinda, and yeah. fictionalized it and kind of Hollywoodized it. Yeah, they definitely take some some liberties, but yeah, it's dope. Moving on to Microsoft, this is what is going on. We've got some rumors <laughs> a- abound about Microsoft. The first one: new rumors circulate online over next Xbox consoles. This is kind of. Just a little bit of a tweak on what we've already heard before. The source comes from the, sense, the French site, Jeux Vidéo. And uh, apparently, the two consoles that will be released, Anaconda and Lockhart, are uh, basically what we've heard before, where there will be a beefier version and a less powerful version. Apparently, the beefier Anaconda... <laughs> we'll have 16 gigabytes of RAM. <laughs> and then Lockhart, this is kind of a new twist on it, will have 12 gigabytes of RAM, but also be diskless. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And then the rumor is that they are both coming in 2020 and will be revealed at E3 this year. What? Did Chad predict that or something? What? <laughs> no, you Am I? I said they, at least the hardware was going to be released this year. Is what I said was. specifically, we will see new consoles from every developer, or from every... Okay. Hardware manufacturer okay. this year. Okay. So, good vagueness in your prediction. That was good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so I am very, very intrigued by this. And I think that I think that Microsoft is onto something as long as they don't release both consoles next year. And hear me out. I still don't think it makes any sense for any of these companies to say, hey, guys, we have new consoles coming next year. So the consoles that we sell right now are going to be weak until the new consoles come out next year. They don't want to make their current lineup seem bad for more than a year. I just they don't just see did it. that for Xbox One X. I'm going to get to that. I'm going to tie all that in. It's, that's all going to come for circle, full circle, Chad. <laughs> so um, 
I also don't see them saying that they're going to release new consoles and then not have anything for the holidays. Like, that's the big thing, too, is, like, the holidays is the biggest selling point of the year. They're not going to drop the ball and have nothing for the holidays when they announce new products are coming. I just think that would hurt things. However, I think it would be really, really smart. This discless Lockhart, there's that. There's also been rumors of a streaming-only Xbox. And this is what I think they're going to do. They're going to do something very, very similar to Xbox One S and One X launch. When they showed off the One S, they said we have two consoles, the One S. One S is coming out this year. Codename Scorpio is going to be coming out next year. They didn't really talk too much about it, but it's going to be beefier, more powerful. So many They'll flops. go more in depth with this year than they did with Xbox One X at the time. What's going to happen, I think, or at least I don't know, but I think it would be really smart of them to do is show off the Lockhart and say, this is a streaming device. It's going to stream everything the Xbox One can handle. Also, here's the next-gen stuff. That's all coming next year. We're going to have a really beefy console that can handle that all locally next year. But this year, we're going to release a streaming device that you can get that will play all those next-gen games next year when they come out. So we're basically going to have months of lead-up to uh, the next-gen console by selling consoles that can support the next-gen games. I think that'd be really smart of them to do it that way. Otherwise, I just don't see them saying, we don't have, here's next-gen consoles, they're coming out next year. Please buy the current generation. I just don't see that, unless it's a promise that this streaming box can handle those next-gen games coming next year. Well, so that, do you not think that with Xbox's cloud streaming that they're going to be rolling out and with the infrastructure that they're going to be putting into place, that the Xbox One S and X won't continue to be part of the lineup? Because that's something that I've always... No, that's a good point. But this would be a... If they're doing a new generation of consoles and streaming is really important for them, this is going to be the streaming device. This is going to be the streaming version of the Xbox. Also, streaming, Phil Spencer has said that it's going to rely on server-side and local. Right. It's not going to be just one or the other. It's going to be a combination of the both. So they might need some hardware in there to get that streaming working at a level that they're happy with, possibly. You don't I don't think know. 1X is capable of that? Yeah. Maybe it is. The other possibility is they could make the 1X heavily discounted after this. That way they have a much cheaper Xbox to sell during the holidays. They can still sell that product. Right. I just feel like Google Stream could run on mm-hmm. Chrome on extremely like low-powered devices and I yeah. mean, like, much lower powered than the Xbox yeah. One S even. So Google, I feel like... Google's wizards, though, with with AI and with software in a way that really nobody else is right now. And a lot of the reasons that Google Stream works so well is that they have AI algorithms that are predicting the next thing that you're going to be typing in. Google's way better at that than anybody else. And Microsoft, they have Azure, but they're not doing consumer-level cloud computing quite yet. Right. But I just feel like they, because they have the most cloud infrastructure out of, they have more infrastructure server side than Google Mm -hmm. will ever have because Microsoft's just been established for so long. And the amount of server power, Mm -hmm. that was one of the things they tried pitching with the launch of the original Xbox One was that cloud computing would become a big part of it. So if... Mm -hmm. And we haven't really seen that come to fruition because there were so many change-ups and yeah. Crackdown came out and wasn't what it was going to be. But I just feel like if, while Google does have the AI and the predictability of what you're going to do, I feel mm-hmm. like the raw power of end-to-end cloud computing, I feel like Microsoft yeah. is the clear winner in that, which is why they could 
release it because they, with Xbox Play Anywhere and with all the Game Pass and allegedly it coming to Switch, it doesn't seem like Xbox in general needs much. They can handle as much power as you could throw at them. So you could mm-hmm. play Forza Horizon 4 at 4K HDR, 144 hertz from a PC. I, I, I think you're making all really good points, but I mean, they're not going to keep the Xbox One S and the One X forever just because it can handle streaming. They're going right. to want to sell something new, which yeah. is why they're going to get rid of the disc because it's going to be cheaper to make that console than it would to be to keep the Xbox One X and the and the One S around. I mean, I'm pretty sure the One X is a very, very expensive console to manufacture. Yeah. It'd be much more cost effective for them to have a cheap streaming only device and replace the One X next year with that kind of beefier console. So I see your point. So what is it getting at? So they, they, they don't need that hardware. You're totally right. But that doesn't mean that they're not going to release new hardware ever again. Right. And I think that the timing would make sense for them to say, hey, new big initiative, new big fancy box to show off. And again, like I said earlier, they might need some hardware there to get some of the stuff working. We don't know. With the, do you think? But I think you're right. We don't, they don't technically need it. Do you think? It doesn't mean they won't release anything new. This could be the end, the last box, and start going mm-hmm. towards the streaming servers? They have talked about that as well, yeah. Well, What I a just, great opportunity to rope in this next story to the conversation. Well, I think Aaron wanted to say something. No, I was just wondering that we could go into the next story, which might lead to that. Yep. The I next story. The this time. Anton wanted to say something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it, it works with the next story as well. So, Boom! Okay. Holden, I made an executive decision that you're wrong. <laughs> The another another rumor coming from Imran Khan at Game Informer is Microsoft bringing Game Pass and published titles to Switch. Some titles will be ported to Switch directly, like things that are less demanding, such as Ori and the Blind Forest that was mentioned specifically, as well as the ability to stream things like, I don't know, potentially Gears 5 uh, using Project X Cloud to your Switch coming possibly as soon as this year. How does this roll into that conversation? Does it change anyone's minds? Uh, it doesn't change my mind at all because I think that xCloud is the big push this year. And then they want to get xCloud out. They want to have streaming available. Um, and next year, then I think they're going to push the next-gen stuff. Like actually releasing next-gen content. Yeah. So I think this this fits in. They would also want to have a, a cloud infrastructure in place, solidified, and kind of get those bugs ironed out before they start that next generation. They want the next generation to look as strong as possible. I think this makes sense. I think like Aaron said that this might be like a very significant step. If it if it's true, again, it's rumor. And if it if works, it's true, like it's supposed to. Yeah. Yeah, and if it works as it's supposed to. Uh, <laughs> right. It's a, a significant step towards um, a, no more Xboxes. Yeah. It's just Xbox as a service now. You play it on whatever you got in front of you. Mm-hmm. My question would be this. It, hypothetical. Like Rocket League is available on Game Pass. That's also mm-hmm. available on the Nintendo eShop to buy. Why would Nintendo allow that? Well, when it's available on Game Pass on Xbox, it's also available on Xbox to buy as well. Totally, but um, but Microsoft's getting the ten dollars a month. Nintendo's not getting I'm, that ten dollars a month. Right. Well, I'm I'm sure they've worked out. They will have worked. Out oh, I'm sure they will. I'm just I'm very curious what it, yeah. that arrangement is because it doesn't sound like. For some things, it's great for Nintendo. You can yeah. play Gears 5 on your Switch. You don't need to buy that Xbox. You just buy the Switch. It's, that's great for them. But some of those cross-platform games might be an issue. I'd be Hold very on. curious if that gets handled. I've got one question for you that is meant to pigeonhole you into a corner and then make me yell at you. Ha, I got you. <laughs> Are you in favor of this in general? 
Yeah, absolutely. Ha! I got you! (laughs) (laughs) The man who is vehemently against Resident Evil 7 streaming on Switch and vehemently against Assassin's Creed Odyssey streaming on Switch is totally okay with streaming Rocket League or Gears 5 on Switch, even though they are exactly the same use case and exactly the same same thing at all. This is not it the is same exactly thing at all. The same, because that's saying you're going to get a single game for this um, cloud streaming option. This is saying you're basically accessing Netflix. There are people but who your will, argument was no, 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 no. it there are people breaks who will the handheld nature of Netflix the Switch because they just want to access something quickly. It's not equivalent. Nope. It's not equivalent. It's not you. the same thing. I got you. you didn't it know is. That's like saying the difference between why would anyone let netflix onto their platform when especially xbox and playstation are selling movies like right now ah, there are movies that's that are, a good point that's i could stream yeah and they're not exactly so whatever the same financials of if i watch a season of my hero academia on hulu mm-hmm. yeah. on my playstation like playstation doesn't get a, a cut of that but mm-hmm. i also could go and buy that season and it's not for a small amount of money like those are there are games that are cheaper than seasons sure. of television shows yeah. on is, those platforms. Has anybody ever bought a movie from Sony to watch on their PlayStation or for Microsoft yeah. to buy on their Xbox? I've yeah. never had before. I'm just yeah, I have. Okay. I've, I've done bought both. seasons buy of Xbox. shows. I bought uh, movies like a lot of these flash sales that they have on PlayStation that are mm-hmm. great ways to get games. They also have sometimes they'll just be random movies on sale for cheap prices like the same way the flash sales work for games they work yeah. for movies and tv yeah, shows I've seen that. so sometimes it's just like oh all of fully coolie is like two dollars right now i'll go grab that so mm-hmm. i've done it i actually have a surprising like king's glaive the final fantasy 15 movie i mm-hmm. have that on playstation on xbox mm-hmm. i have some episodes of like mm-hmm. dragon ball z and from like the 360 days of full metal alchemist and so i know that is a thing that people use because like with itunes if you don't have an apple tv on whatever you're watching on it, i have a console hooked up to every tv and mm-hmm. so wherever i go if what i want to watch isn't on netflix isn't on hulu isn't on amazon i'll just buy it from whatever platform i'm already on yeah because the price is usually comparable sure. to something like iTunes. I think actually it's a very good point. I hadn't considered that. I think another thing to consider on that same trail is how much money does Microsoft and, uh, and Sony make off of their game sales versus their movie sales? How much impact would Netflix have versus a uh, Game Pass being on there? I mean, Microsoft doesn't seem to be blah. Microsoft does not think to seem to be its a problem because they obviously put Game Pass on their console as well. So they don't seem to be a problem. Um, right. Well, if you think about it, it's similar Nintendo to like Netflix been, versus iTunes store Netflix on Apple TV. Like that. That, not that they sell movies, but they don't necessarily do everything on there. It's the same. It's yeah. the same kind of idea with Netflix yeah. versus iTunes store on Apple TV. Yeah. Yeah. They both are in the same business, and that yeah. is a significant chunk. No, no, of no it's a good, very good point to bring up. Yeah. yeah. Cool discussion. I think we all agree that Holden got got. Next up, <laughs> Sony. <laughs> <laughs> Sony has one announcement that we're going to be talking about this week, and that is that Dreams, the newest game from Media Molecule, is releasing in early access this spring. Coming from Christopher Schumer on Game Rant, they are releasing a $30 creator early access this spring, which is basically an extension, maybe even more, a little bit robust creator tools that were in the beta uh, the last two months-ish, if you were a part of that. 
A couple of things that came from their Discord, the Dreams Media Molecule Discord, is that if you buy this creator beta or early access, when the game launches, no matter the cost of the actual full game, which they haven't announced, you will get that full game. So if you buy right. this at 30 bucks, you could possibly end up with a discounted full copy of Dreams later down the road. Um, not every tool from the full game will be available, obviously, because it's an early access type thing, so they will be launching more things. But according to Media Molecule, early access is for those who enjoyed the beta or want creative tools. I think this is a really dope way to get people working on making stuff so that when the game launches, there is an entire library of really great polished mm-hmm. stuff, which I think is if Dreams launches and it doesn't have anything significant to show and it takes months to get there, it's going to drown, especially at the end of a console generation. Especially they kind of pitch the game as you travel from one dream to the next dream. They need to have a lot of content to support that transition from dream to dream, considering people could just play this for hours on end on day one, if no user-generated content is there, it's going to suck. That's a good point. Yep. All right. I'm, I actually registered to get into the early access, so that's something. I've, I was a big fan of Little Big Planet 1 and 2, and even Little Big Planet PSP and Little Big Planet Vita. So Heck yeah. Everything except Little Big Planet 3, it just didn't have that magic, but then there were things like Mod Nation Racers from United Front Games <laughs> that, like, this style of, like, user-generated content, like, infinite possibilities, I'm never one who's a creator, so the creator bait is not for me, I just want to have my game, hands on this game as soon as possible. It's like Mario Maker 1. I never made anything in Mario Maker, <laughs> but I love just going and doing the 100 Mario challenge where it's just they're just pulling random levels off the server and just giving them to me. And like, I'm fine waiting through, let's say, on a bad day, two thirds of what I played was bad. But that one third of just knowing Media Molecule. And following them as long as I have, I know that they have a community that's hungry to just start to get their hands on these tools and to start making games in dreams. And I'm really looking forward to like what some of these people seeing the things they made in Little Big Planet One and Two and Vita, seeing like the different things people found out now having a more robust tool set, now having it with a lot more options for collaboration and having a lot more options for people to specialize. That's just something I'm really looking forward to getting in and just, I may make a few levels when it's the creator beta, but that's a lower price entry point for me. Like I'm already a hundred percent on board. They showed anything media molecule does, which hopefully they survive the (laughs) development cycle and hopefully dream sells well enough that they can stay around, but everything that they've done so far, and ever like I was a big fan of Tearaway, I got it on Vita and PS4. Heck yeah. Like anything they do, I'm there for because they've proven they have a Nintendo-like magic to them, which a lot of studios and just people in general don't have. Mm-hmm. I'm very curious. This is going to play out for them. Early access games still tend to get reviewed, and I'm not a big fan of that concept because this is it's not going to get reviewed well because it's early access. And I think that could hurt a game like this when it comes out. I don't out, know if you can review because yeah, technically these review. levels won't be playable. 
No, you, they can sh- you can show off content. Right. You can you can uh, show footage. There's no NDAs on this early access at all. Yeah, and but it's play, not like con- you can go and play levels that people created. There's going to be like, there's going to be can create there's going to be reviews of the creator tools. At least though, is my point. There's going to be conversation about this content. When uh, what was the um, Cliff Blazinski's early access Lawbreakers? Not law not Lawbreakers. The one after that because Lawbreakers oh, the, didn't do well. The Royale one. The Battle Royale one. And that got reviewed oh, in early access yeah. and it got panned. So I'm like, well, it got panned because it's in early access. And you're, they were trying to pick themselves up and you just shut them down immediately. And I really don't want that to happen to this game. Because I feel like this is something that could have a lot of heart to it. So I, I get wary when I see big games going to early access. Because I just feel like they kind of get trashed in reviews early on. So yeah, they're not going to have gameplay to play. But they're going to review the creator tools. They're going to talk about them. And they're not well, going to be mean... 100% baked because it's early access. There's also the fact that Fortnite has is still in early access technically, mm-hmm. yeah. And then Minecraft, like an Minecraft, and now Fortnite has a creative mode, and yeah. Minecraft had a creative mode. Mm-hmm. Both of those games have were in early access for years and years, and people spoke favorably about yeah. them, and they found their communities, and yeah. they not only found like a commu- a small community, they found massive. Mm-hmm. communities there were people who were doing there are still articles coming out how many years later about people making amazing things in minecraft and minecraft doesn't have the m- most robust tool set in the universe mm-hmm. it's so i feel like if media molecule made it just the things that are already coming out like people have made remade pt people have remade mario world mm-hmm. like all of these things yeah. i feel like that word of mouth has more power than a lot of people. Cause a lot of things in early access, like PUBG was one of the biggest games in the world and was making that studio millions of dollars. And eventually like PUBG still has an audience, but coming out of the gate, even in this rough state, there was an audience for it. And I feel like media molecule can also find that like they already have an audience of people who just want to create. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're an indie dev coming out of nowhere with like promises of being able to make games. They've proven their track record that their users that are generating the content can not only generate quality content with the basic tool set, mm-hmm. but now giving just those people more robust tools. Like I know there's going to be an amazing yeah, game. So you're, you're basically saying that the, the content people make will overshadow any sort of bad press that gets put out about the the yeah. content yeah i guess yeah. i mean you're yeah. you're already seeing that with like pt being recreated and all that kind of stuff so yeah. right i i feel like that if it gets early access buzz i feel like that's what it's going to be getting okay yeah i don't feel like the early access buzz is going to be like oh man this is such a broken bare bones thing i think it'll be like wow you can really do something with this and people are really doing things with this yeah. can't wait till okay. date xxx so when you can finally play it right all right, we're going to jump into our next segment, which is sponsorships. Oh, my God, but we're too small, and we're a little baby podcast. We don't have sponsors, so we sponsor you, and we do that through our participation trophy. Our participation trophy is something you can enter to win, and we will uh, provide $20 to one person randomly on the list of people who participated. Wow, big old brain fart right there. $20 to the gaming <laughs> service of your choice. <gasps> However, we found one limitation. You do have to be a U.S. resident or at least have a U.S. game store account. 
Um, so if you are living in Canada or elsewhere and listening to us, we found out last week it doesn't work that way. So <laughs> uh, if you're in the U.S., you are eligible for this. And you can participate by joining in the conversation on Twitter, referring a friend to us, or reviewing us on the podcast service of your choice. And if you're like, man, but all of that sounds so hard. Well, here's an easy way to get you in. We have something called hashtag thanks for creating. And it's a way where we share the love that we have of games and the gaming industry with the people who are responsible for it. And uh, this week's comes actually from inspired by a subscriber interrogative from Ryan subscriber interrogatives. You guys know him from the last five or six weeks of nonstop interrogatives. Thank you, Ryan. Again, his question was, what game do you define as the game that turned you into a gamer? So it's a question for the four of us. What game do you define as the game that turned you into a gamer? I'm going to start with saying there might be two. Two games. One, I've, I've been playing video games like literally my earliest memory that I can think of is playing Gauntlet in front of the NES with my family. But I don't think I defined myself as a gamer or thought of myself as like, man, this is my hobby until Perfect Dark came out on the N64. And we played multiplayer, four-player, just my brother and sister and I uh, playing that thing for hundreds of hours. That was the first game I sunk so much time into, hundreds and hundreds of hours. So I think either that one or the game that I very first, the very first game that I ever like pulled an all-nighter and like we started at 8 p.m. and didn't finish until 10 a.m. the next day because it was summer break from school and that's what you do as a kid. The very first game I ever did that with was Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance 2, which was a super dope game on Xbox and PS2. If you haven't played it, you should find a way to play it because it's so freaking cool, or at least it was a long time ago. I don't know if it's cool anymore. but <laughs> If it held up. Yeah, super dope game. Actually kind of rare. So I think those are my two answers. What about you, gentlemen? Uh, I think Pokemon Red and Blue, because those are my first mm. games. And just from that point, I got a Game Boy Color with Pokemon Red and Blue. And I've played every Pokemon game since. And that was one of the games that really got me into RPGs. It was one of the games that got me into. There were things that I were was trying. Because I'm sure I played other things before that. Like, I'm sure I was exposed to things like Pac-Man, Tetris... But Pokemon Red and Blue were the first games that were my games. It was my adventure. My save file had my name. And I was just going through. And that was... Got to catch them all. Yeah, it was a huge (laughs) turning point for me Like at a young age to... Like, my Game Boy became the thing that was synonymous with me. Like... I would all You'd see me literally for years. And I'd have a Game Boy all the way up through the Game Boy Micro and, like, the DS and then the 3DS, and I'm always playing a Pokemon game. Like, I'm really looking forward to Gen 8, which is oh, supposedly yeah. oh, going to yeah. get announced very soon. Right around the I corner, hopefully. can't wait. <laughs> Pokemon Day, hopefully. We'll see. But, yeah, I feel like Pokemon Red and Blue are the games that turned me into a gamer. Awesome. Good answer. I have- oh, for... Oh, do you want to go? No, go ahead. You good? Okay, for me, I remember playing Pokemon, but I was in the fourth grade when that came out. I didn't consider myself a gamer until you could say Halo 2. I actually finally get to play online with friends. Oh, yeah. 
other than that, other than yeah, I remember Halo One. You would have to log the whole VCR Xbox, and that was <laughs> incredibly hard to do that. Yeah, but yeah, I would say Halo Two, playing all night, grinding, big team battles, even regular team death matches. Those were fun online. Shout out to Halo Two, man. Yeah. yeah. All right, Holden, your answer. Yeah, so mine's kind of a strange answer because the games have nothing to do with each other and they're also far apart in terms of when they came out. Um, I think Wind Waker was the... Zelda games were a big game part uh, in my childhood. It's probably the only games I really played in my childhood for the most part. Um, But Wind Waker was, I think, the first Zelda game that really stuck with me that I played all the way through. I actually never beat Ocarina of Time, which is a a famous story in this podcast at this point. (laughs) So why I didn't beat that game. Um, But... Wind Waker was important, but I don't consider that the game that made me the gamer I am today because if I hadn't played the next game, I think I would have been one of those people who stopped playing games when they got older. And it was Mass Effect 2 that really made me realize what games could be. Having played Mass Effect 1, I enjoyed it, but the better mechanics of Mass Effect 2, seeing how the characters were impacted by the decisions in the first game, um, that game has always stuck with me so much. And it was so much different than the kind of the Nintendo style games I've been playing before. Not that I hadn't been playing Xbox, but that game just is really something special in terms of um, my upbringing in gaming. Dope. How can you go your whole life without knowing how that story that you love so much ends? Yeah, I, I don't know. understand it. I don't. It's, you know, <laughs> I really want to play it. I have no way of playing that game, Mass Effect Three. I have no way of playing it. You I have really a money want way to. to play it. What was that? You have a money way to play it. Buy a console. <laughs> I'll wait till the next <laughs> box the comes out, and then it'll be backwards compatible, and I'll play it on there. There you go. Or so trilogy. Make a remaster trilogy, please. Yes, right, please. Yeah, we could definitely use a Mass Effect remaster trilogy. Oh, on 100%. PlayStation at least. Hundred percent into that. So our hashtag thanks for creating this week is thank the developer of the game that turned you into a gamer. Thank you. Game so whatever that is to you. Whatever your answer to Ryan subscriber interrogatives is, thank that gamer on Twitter. Use the hashtag thanks for creating, and that will get you entered into our trophy, our participation trophy. We will announce the winner for that next week and how it might be changing for the month of March. Mm-hmm. Alright, guys, let's jump into our next to actually third from final segment, main quest, talking about the PS Vita production officially shutting down in the last place that it was ever being produced japan we had a similar kind of in memoriam for the playstation vita when we discontinued production in the u.s and europe and everywhere else but it was still going strong in japan but officially ps vita is ending production in the next few days so we wanted to have a quick discussion about the vita we wanted to eulogize it we wanted to talk about our memories and all of those delightful times we had with it did uh i know that anton had a vita because he literally showed it on camera a little bit ago yeah aaron do you have a do you have a vita or did you? not a vita i had a psp but never a vita psp oh i miss I my have... psp i miss my psp go <laughs> <laughs> you're one of the only time. people yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, i never bought the vita never because I don't really play handheld. Only play, only kind of get, get games when I'm home. Gotcha. So that was actually one of our questions on the list. If you have one, 
great. If not, why didn't you buy them? So you were just mostly a home console gamer? Yes, that's what I play mostly. Gotcha. Do you own a Switch? Yes, I have a Switch. Are you one of those primarily docked people? Uh, no. I guess you could say Oh, that. I thought we were going to get Holden again. <laughs> <laughs> Although I did finally beat the Elite Four on Let's Go Pewter Dock. Heck yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's Go is really good dock just because it's really nostalgic. And see, I just want to see that. I want to see Kanto as big as possible. Right. Times. Right. Dope. But... This is a, a conversation about Vita, but we can bring up Nintendo Switch in it because has the Switch kind of replaced the Vita? For me, it has in a couple of ways. My Vita was always around for any kind of JRPGs, anything that was kind of grindy. Um, I also use it a lot for remote play, 2D platformers, indie games. For a lot of what I use my Vita for, my Switch has kind of replaced that. If I, I want something handheld still, but... I had a great time playing Octopath Traveler, and I. the only thing I'm conflicted about how to play Final Fantasy IX now is do I, I still get trophies if I play it on PS4 or remote play it on my Vita versus playing it on Switch, because I'm a trophy whore. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, for the most part, Switch is now my go-to indie machine. It's my go-to platformer. It's my go-to. The only thing that it hasn't replaced is that I'm literally thinking, man, tonight I might lay in my bed and remote play Bioshock 2 <laughs> on my Vita. In my bed. Because I've, I've used that a lot. I beat Batman, Batman Arkham Knight at work on my lunch break on my Vita. <laughs> Even on that, though, you can just use your Mac and plug in a DualShock into it and just do it that way. You're right. Play. That is completely more ergonomic. The Not controller. So. I don't want a giant laptop the controller, in my bed. The DualShock 4 controller <laughs> than the, the touchpad to activate, like, is it R3 or something like that? It's the touchpad in the back. It's, it's kind of okay, messy. First of all, you don't use R3 for anything in Bioshock 2. Ooh. Okay. And... Many games, many quality games, at least released nowadays, are specifically like they have remote play controls designed specifically for them. Okay. I tried playing Red Dead Two on my Vita, and it just did not work. It was not a great experience. That doesn't <laughs> surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mostly because that game is not a great experience. But <laughs> you what never about you guys? Has the Switch replaced it for you? <laughs> You're right. Has the Switch replaced Vita for you? Oh, 100 percent. But I'm also a Nintendo fanboy, so like I was. I've always been more of a Nintendo handheld person anyway. So it's like, oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So Switch is basically just a bigger Vita. So it's a combination of the two types of handhelds I've liked, leaning more towards Nintendo. I'm all for that. So yes, Switch has definitely replaced Vita for me. Because Vita yeah, never had Breath of the Wild on it. So that's another big reason. But you could remote play that from your Wii U. <laughs> totally. <absolutely>. <laughs> With your tablet. <laughs> that's how technology works. <laughs> <laughs> Anton, yeah. I'm curious. Do you still play your Vita? Yeah, I, I know actually, you literally had it within arm's reach. Yeah, uh, actually, that's my second Vita. So my first Vita, I had the OLED Fat Vita. I played through yeah. Gravity Rush on it. I played yeah, through Uncharted Golden great. Abyss. Uh, there were a lot of things that I played it for early on, but it kind of got left by the wayside because I moved more towards the 3DS. And then the Switch actually made me want my Vita more, but the... OLED was just a little too cumbersome to carry around and to keep charged. So I found the orange Vita that I showed you guys earlier on eBay for a pretty good price. And I got a 64 gig memory card with it. And now, like, there's still games. I have a copy of Catherine Fullbody 
one of the last physical Vita games that will ever be made. Um, I have a physical copy of that on its way from Japan right now. And, like, it's really great for me because before I had Persona 4 Golden, but it just kind of wasn't scratching that itch for me of, like, the JRPG. Like, I just wasn't in a very JRPG mood. But playing Persona 5 and Nino Kuni 2 recently... Uh, I have the entire Persona franchise, uh, except for one of the versions of two, but I have one, three portable, four golden, and then I have the dancing games for Persona 3, 4, and 5, and then there are just, like, Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions, one of the best JRPGs of all time. I can just boot that up on my Vita at any point, so it's really great for kind of obscure Japanese stuff and for just really quality JRPG experiences, some of which like Persona 4 Golden, you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. It's also right now one of the only places you can play your collection of PS1 classics. Right. Which is still super frustrating. (laughs) I actually got a PS3 Super Slim with a 500 gig hard drive just for that main reason because there are a lot of the Crash Trilogy, the Spyro Trilogy, I think the Resident Evil Trilogy, none of those yep. will play on Vita. So, Oh, really? Yeah, there's some, and then there's like Pocket Fighter. I know there's a big enough handful of games that are PS1 classics that just don't work on the Vita, that but will work on a PS3. Oh, I knew that there was like like, if you wanted to play Metal Gear Solid, you technically can't download it to your Vita, but you can download it to your PS3 and then transfer it to your Vita and it works. <laughs> right. But I, I didn't know there were games that, like, legit couldn't run on it. Yeah. I know Pocket Fighter, and I feel like, just because I don't have them on here, and I know I have them as PlayStation Classics, uh, the Spyro Crash and Resident Evil trilogies just don't. I may try downloading them on the PS3 and transferring them, but I didn't see any options going through my download list to make them download on my Vita. Gotcha. Well, so you've already mentioned a ton of games. Uh, We want to talk about the most memorable games. I'm going to throw in a couple other ones in there. Uh, I think Killzone Mercenary is the best Killzone game, and that's only available on Vita. I've only played that one, but it's a very good game. I've played, I've played two and three, and now Killzone Mercenary. It's the only one I beat, because it's the only one I cared to beat. I liked three <laughs> the best, but I liked Mercenary. Mercenary was something a bit different. Yeah. So if Killzone two and three didn't grab you, because Killzone two and three are probably some of my favorite PS3 games, and I got Killzone Shadowfall as my first PS4 game on... I got my PS4 a week after launching. Killzone Shadowfall was the first game I got for it. But Killzone Mercenary was something special on the Vita. Absolutely. And then, of course, Uncharted Golden Abyss. Mm-hmm. All of those games that you had like with the, the instant game collection that they had with PlayStation Now, where you're like, you get six free games right now. Um, not PlayStation Now, PlayStation Plus. Uncharted... Um, I know Holden really likes Gravity Rush, but it never really got me. I love Tearaway. We mentioned Tearaway earlier. Yep. Mm-hmm. God, I've got a platinum trophy in that. That was a game that just used every bit of that Vita in such a great, genius way. Right. 
Um, a couple other good ones, the Danganronpa trilogy. I never played those games. I know Colin Moriarty used to talk about them nonstop. Yeah, he but never, never actually he, given them a shot. He had me give them a shot, and at first I didn't really like them because they're just kind of visual novels. But the story in them, I watched. They made an anime out of the first Danganronpa, and it was on Hulu. I was like, sure, I'll check this out. And so the story of that grabbed me enough to invest more time into the series. Yeah, the whole yeah, visual novel thing is such a turnoff for me in games. Like, why I stopped playing Persona 4 Golden is the beginning of it was just so text-heavy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's Persona. That was something yeah. I had to get over. But, like, once I got over that and started opening myself up to more experiences like that, there mm-hmm. was a lot more stuff that opened up to me on the Vita. And... Yeah, just open your mind, Holden. <laughs> well, it was God. it was like two hours into the game, and I had done nothing but read dialogue. And I'm like, <laughs> what kind of game is this? <laughs> I was really confused. Um, that was uh, many, many years ago, though. I love Luminous. I actually was going to buy a Vita purely just to play Luminous Electronic Symphony on it again. Then Luminous came to Switch. I'm like, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. And then I didn't really care for the Luminous version on Switch that much because it didn't have the songs I remember from Electronic Symphony. So I still bought a Vita just for Electronic Symphony. <laughs> Great game. And for something, we played something, oh, Castlevania Symphony in the Night. Yes. We also played yep. that yeah. on Vita. But a Luminous, man, Electronic Symphony, it used the, the back touchpad fantastically. It's essentially a kind of like... um. It's a color matching game, and it's all set to the beat of music. You're going to tap to the back of the the Vita to the beat of the music, and it just is a really uh, hypnotic way to play it because you just get so wrapped into tapping to the beat and you get so absorbed in it. I could play that game for literally three hours and think it was five minutes, and it, that's not an exaggeration. Yeah. That's happened to me before. <laughs> um, that game Tetris is engrossing. Effect? What was that? Have you played Tetris Effect yet? I have not played Tetris Effect yet, but oh, I, I know man. it's the same guys who made Luminous. So I'm really compelled to, but at the same time, yeah. should I? Do I want to take heroin? <laughs> no, it's too addictive. Play it in oh, yeah. VR. Play yeah. it in so, VR. Luminous is another game. I actually have Luminous Electronic Symphony physically for my Vita. Like I only have a handful of physical games, but Luminous is one of them, and I really... I play a lot of Luminous Remastered on PS4 and Switch, and Tetris Effect in VR, it's great, it's amazing, but I mean, if you like that style of gameplay, you can totally play it not in VR, and if you like Luminous, you'll yep. automatically like Tetris Effect. It's just, it's Boom. so dangerous for me, though. It's too dangerous. It's hard not playing Luminous all the time. It, it actually is very hard. Yeah, and Tetris... You could not be playing Luminous all the time because you could fill the rest of your time with Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, for the interest of time, we're going to bury the PS Vita. Everyone take a moment of silence <laughs> as we lower it into the grave. Goodbye. <laughs> Next, we're going to move on to a segment we call We're So Fucking Humble. I funeral. <laughs> I know. That was incredibly rude. <laughs> We are so fucking humble. Holden and I are going to allow our guests to bring a topic to the table that they would like to discuss and not something that we predetermined and wrote in a note for them to follow. So, uh, Aaron, let's start with you. Did you have any topic that you'd like to discuss today on our show? Uh, I know so much as a topic, but I guess it is just a question. When the Xbox One was first announced and how they 
baffled and messed up their launch with the going mm. with always online. Isn't technically everything always online now? I mean, everything game now has like a day one patch. Some games don't even work unless you get that patch. Oh, man. I just wanted to know or get your guys' opinion on why that was such... Why did, did they deserve that much hate? When really the whole industry is following what they try to do? I think there's also concerns about... Um, like, would you ever play used games? Not initially, you wouldn't play, like, buy used games because they had, like, Authenticate or something like that. Yeah. I don't remember it too much. But, like, I think it was more of things like that than as opposed to... Um, if, I guess it was no, because it was it had to check in every twenty four hours. It wasn't yeah. had to be on, uh, online every second. It had to check in every twenty four hours one. for those kind of piracy concerns. And I think it was just people right. really pushing against DRM. Mm-hmm. I think is a right. big part of it. And I don't. And I, I agree. I actually am. I see your point though of if like Tony Hawk Pro Skater Five, for example, that game came out, and if you did not have an internet connection, <laughs> you would have missed everything in the game because right. the day one patch was the game. Basically, that's an extreme example. And Spyro too. The Spiral Trilogy. Oh, is it really the same case Spiral Trilogy? I didn't realize that. Yeah, you get one in the game, but then the others are downloaded. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, I thought you were saying it was like a terrible game until you downloaded the patch. <laughs> like they fixed everything. Um, in that case, like I guess it's similar to the sense of always in line, the sense that you really need to have an internet connection to enjoy your console. Uh-huh. Um, but I guess the difference would be the Spyro incident and the Tony Hawk are going to be one-off incidences. Um, minus like games like Anthem, which are going to be like online only anyway, because yeah. this game is a service and those have day one patches too. But I think the 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 frustration with the always online was that even like Metro Exodus would have been always online, even though that's a single player game. It does not need that. Well, I think a I lot ha- of the big uproar. Um, I think a lot of the big uproar was that we just also didn't really know what that meant or why it was necessary. Mm-hmm. So I think having the the whole generation so far being like always online optional mm-hmm. as with games of service games um, or like online multiplayer, that kind of game. I think people are finally like, oh yeah, I mean, this is a better gaming experience anyway. And I'm online anyway in order to play this game because it mm-hmm. literally doesn't work offline. I think they were just a little bit ahead of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think if they do the same thing with this next Xbox, I don't think anyone's going to give a shit. They're just going to be like, oh, yeah, that's obviously the natural progression of where we're going. But to make the bold move and say everything without having known what always online means or what that can do for gaming, everyone freaked out a little bit. But now that we know, oh, yeah, it's a fine experience. It's totally great. Right. And on my PlayStation currently, so on our podcast, we bought our producer at the time. Now he's a full-blown member of the podcast. We bought him a PS4, and I gave him my primary so he could play. I was like, I have five years worth of games. We gave it to him on the fifth anniversary of the PS4. I was like, I have five years worth of digital games, so I'm gonna get. We're giving you this PS4, and we're giving you my primary for six months. So on my PlayStation currently, I have to be online to authenticate anything. Like if. PSN is down or my internet's acting up, I can't play even 100% single-player things that don't require online connection. By Monster Hunter World, I have, and I can play that totally offline, but my console has to be always online, and every time I play something, it has to authenticate with the server for me to access it. So I feel like there are situations even in the Microsoft and PlayStation ecosystem currently 
that are echoing those kind of same things that Xbox said more explicitly at the beginning of the generation and got a lot of backlash for. Yeah. I think you're right, Aaron. They got a lot of flack that maybe in hindsight they didn't deserve. I just looked up really quickly the percentage of Americans that don't have an internet connection and then the worldwide population that doesn't have an internet connection. 6% of Americans do not have an internet connection. So they could get away with doing online only here in the US. That'd be fine. But half of the world does not have access to the internet. How many of those people are gamers? I have no idea. But that's a huge amount of people who don't have access to the internet. So internationally, maybe yeah. not feasible, but nationally, I think How it's many feasible. of those markets are exactly. Xbox yeah. and, and yeah. yeah. That's I don't know how many of those are gamers or not who are playing or not, but it's a much bigger difference than 6%. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for bringing that question up. Um, Anton, do you have a question that you would, or a topic that you'd like to bring to We Are So Fucking Humble? I bring this topic to every podcast that I guest on. We Ooh, okay. need Square Enix to give us a Crisis Core <laughs> HD remaster or oh, remake. I have played Crisis man, Core. Yes. That was a good, good, good game. That's my favorite how, PSP how game. How did we probably. not mention that on the PS Vita? Oh, that was, that was PSP, PSP, wasn't it? it? PSP. Well, yeah, it was. it's not available digitally, so you can't play it on Vita, which on its own is a travesty. But I need Square mm-hmm. Enix. I will give Square Enix too much money for a just even HD remaster <laughs> the same way they remastered Type 0 from the PSP for current gen consoles. I just love to have a easy way besides breaking out my PSP and putting the mm. UMD in it to play Crisis 4 again. Like I just love a even like an iOS port. I wouldn't care that battle system is so good <laughs> that <laughs> story is so good the soundtrack's great like i actually have the soundtrack i bought it on itunes i have a copy of that game in english and japanese i need square enix if anybody listening to the respawn aim fire podcast has any connections to square enix we just need crisis score we've they've spent a lot of time and resources they're talking about Final Fantasy VII Remake, Kingdom Hearts 3 finally came out, Final Fantasy Versus 13 never happened. There are the Verum Rex Easter eggs in Kingdom Hearts 3, but Technically, what we Final really Fantasy need... Versus 13 is Final Fantasy 15. Right. But yeah. but it's very different than yeah, what Yeah, very this. very different than what okay. was those initial trailers for Versus 13. Like almost nothing from that made it all the way into the final version of Final Fantasy 15. Okay. So here's what I want, Anton. There's a trend nowadays when new games come out or remasters of some other games that they're also including like, oh, you get the free download of blank. Like, for instance, when Assassin's Creed 3 comes out on Switch later this year, you're also just going to get liberation with it. Right. Or when Far Cry 5, if you pre-ordered it, you also got Far Cry 3, whatever. For I want the Final Fantasy 7 remaster to just come with an HD version of Crisis Core as like a pre-order bonus or like a little extra add-on yeah. or something like that. They won't do that because they can't sell it on Switch for $35. <laughs> well, they could. They They've might be able to. done that with so if you pre-ordered like South Park the stick uh the fractured butthole, you got oh, the yeah. stick of truth for free and then they sold the stick of truth separately for a premium. I think it was $40 on top Much of the later. $60 of the game. So Is that Square I- Obsidian though? Well, that was Obsidian, but the marketing model is there for it. Yeah, but that's not Square Enix's marketing model. Square Enix is going to sell that for $20 separately on its own on the Switch. <laughs> oh, I'm fine. They could sell it to me for $60. If I could play 
Crisis Core on my PS4 Pro in 2019, I would gladly give them $60. For anybody who has no idea what Crisis Core is, you should absolutely find a way to play that game, or at least just look it up and just kind of see the battle system and uh, how it kind of ties into Final Fantasy VII. I think it's dope. But more importantly, where's the Dirge of Cerberus remake? What? I don't think anyone's what? clamoring yeah, for that. Yeah, no one's clamoring for that one. <laughs> it took me a second. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was the Vincent spinoff from Final Fantasy VII on PS2. <laughs> I feel like if we could get an Advent Children remake, I'd want that. I'd want a Crisis Core remake. But honestly, the story of Advent Children and Crisis Core is way stronger than the story of Final Fantasy VII or the story of Dirge of Cerberus. Like these, oh yeah, I definitely agree with both you. of those were made much later on, and just have more of a perspective of the gravity of Final Fantasy VII, and that was what I feel like Crisis Core was a love letter to fans who had fond memories of Final Fantasy VII. Crisis Core was the next evolution, and Dirge of Cerberus was just a left turn that nobody needed. <laughs> yeah, it was the Metal Gear Rising Revengeance of well, the Final we Fantasy VII universe. I'll Metal Gear with Rising Revengeance was good. Oh, I, I, I never, to be honest, never actually gave it the proper shake. I only played it for like... Actually, I don't even think I owned it. I think they had a demo out, and I played the demo, and I was like, this is not what I want from a Metal Gear game. Yeah, I've seen a lot of clips of it, but I downloaded it because apparently it was a free PlayStation Plus game at some point. So when I got the new PS3, I was going through my download list. I'm like, hey, I have Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. I'll download that because everything else Platinum did in that time frame was really good. So it's of the I era forget of... that was Platinum. Yeah. And Raiden is super cool. Maybe I will go back and give that a shot. Now that I've played, I played Bayonetta 1 and Bayonetta 2 still on my backlog to play. Maybe I will go back and give Rising Revengeance a shot. I say give Nier Automata a shot. It is. That's definitely next. I I have that downloaded, ready to go. I just got to find the time for it. I actually want to make it one of our barf games coming up soon. Okay, yeah, that's great. Because the Cheesy Controller podcast, one of our core pillars, is our love for Nier Automata. Oh, really? (laughs) How many, so I've heard that you have to play it multiple times. How many times do you have to play it in order to kind of get everything from it? Okay, there are five playthroughs. But if you think about it like that, there are technically 26 endings you can get. Okay. Okay. Playthrough A through E are the ones that matter. And I'm going to keep this as minor spoilery because there is like a whole philosophical side to this game. And it does some kind of, like, Undertale, like, subverting your expectations weirdness. But playthrough A is the first part of the game. Playthrough B is playing through the first part of the game from a different perspective with added content. So those are the only two playthroughs that are even remotely similar. Playthrough C and D you are doing simultaneously. Because you're switching back and forth through two different characters and so you are seeing what happens after the events of playthrough a and b which are technically happening at the same time and the repercussions of everything that happened 
in those playthroughs, you're playing through two different characters switching back and forth for C and D. So that's technically one continuous playthrough, just switching back and forth. And then okay. E is what happens when there's a decision you make at the end of C and D. That if you go back and do both decisions at the end, you get E. And so the only really replaying part is you'll get to the end of A and then you'll have to play through the same content you played in A in B, but the battle mechanics are different. The character you're playing as is a very different kind of character than the character you play through the same scenario with in A. That's actually really comforting to hear because, you know, right off the bat, you just hear, oh, you have to play through this game five times. No, you're playing through but one But to know that it's something different story. every time, yeah, that's awesome. It's not even... After the first time they do it, they never go back to the same thing. You're not replaying the same events. You're just continuing the story. And then, like, you can get endings. Like, there's an ending for eating a fish. So there are 26, one for each letter (laughs) of the alphabet. There's, like, if you walk in the wrong direction, if you just nope out of the beginning of the game, they're like, come this way and help us. And if you just say, no, I'm going the other way, that's an ending. And (laughs) so everything F through Z... Some of them are tied to optional bosses. Some of them are tied to just there's your upgrade system as a chip system. If you remove your CPU chip, you die, and that's an ending. So there's <laughs> okay. just a bunch of like really random things that will get you certain endings. But A through E is a cohesive story that is probably one of the best stories like philosophically this generation of games it was i went in i'm i'm like okay cool another highly polished character action game from platinum like i got a lot of bayonetta vibes from it really early on i'm always down for something like that and then the story things near does are what set it over the top it's my favorite platinum game by a mile it's one of my favorite games this generation and Yeah, I can't recommend it enough. And it's not repetitive in the slightest because it's A A and B are different enough and there are different enough gameplay mechanics that it doesn't feel like you're doing the same thing again. That's awesome to hear. Now I'm even more excited to freaking play it. Dang it. (laughs) But we don't have time to play that right now because we're going to jump into another game. That we call Game on Game Show. It's the game Game on on our game show. We play a game show on our gaming podcast called Game on the Game Show. Game on. This week is another episode of Would You Rather. And we have five different Would You Rathers we're going to go through that are 1 to 10, mild to crazy. And we're going to have just a discussion around them. So, starting with something a little bit more mild. Simply, would you rather play The Legend of Zelda, The Jaw Harp of Time? Or The Legend of Zelda, The Recorder of Time, instead of Ocarina. Which of those two is least obnoxious? I think Jaw Harp, quite honestly. What's a Jaw Harp? Does anyone know what a, you don't know what a Jaw yeah, Harp is? Jaw okay. Harp? So it's like that little metal thing that you put in your mouth and it's like, bam, we don't know what it oh. makes that like really bluegrass, gross <laughs> sound. <laughs> I could see that getting annoying faster than a recorder because YouTube has shown us that. People can make some really good, like, amazing video game covers out of a recorder. So I have not seen yeah. those. Yeah, just you can look up 
just look up cool recorder. I don't know. But there have definitely been a lot of clips that have come across my timeline of people doing a lot more than what we did in elementary school with recorders. <laughs> I, I feel like I would pick recorder, but I feel like Nintendo would pick the jaw harp. The jaw, the jaw harp. harp. Yeah. <laughs> Someone at Nintendo is very passionate about jaw harps. I'm, I'm, I'm sure of it. <laughs> yeah. I feel like every single, uh, every single time I think about recorders, I always think of that South Park episode where all of the fourth grade kids are going to play My Country Tizifty on the recorders <laughs> at the same time. I mean, when I think of recorder, I think of the 20th century Fox intro. It comes to mind. <laughs> the little kids playing it. That's what I, that's immediately what I thought. When... I had totally forgotten about that, but it's one of my favorite little videos. <laughs> that's so funny. Oh my gosh. All right. Next up. Would you rather play a Smash Bros. game with only 75 Fire Emblem characters in it? <laughs> That's it. How only is that Fire different Emblem than characters? it's only. there right now? <laughs> or play a Smash Bros. game with no Fire Emblem characters in it. Like, you don't even get the cool, fun, giant, great swords. I'd play the all-Fire Emblem fighting game that I didn't know I needed until now. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Fire Emblem Platform Fighter sounds actually pretty amazing. You know, come to think of it, that might be the first Fire Emblem game I enjoy. Ooh, Ooh shots fired. Boom! <laughs> <laughs> I have to say that the Fire Emblem fighting game does sound really good. But as a Smash Bros. game, the diversity of characters from other franchises would be better than the diversity of characters of just Fire Emblem. So I'll take the non-Fire Emblem. Mm. But I do think the idea, I think the all Fire Emblem's fighting game sounds pretty good, actually. I have to agree. Yeah, I would want more characters, so I'd go without the fire. All right. Third question. This one's a little bit longer. Would you rather there were a centralized video game department of motor vehicles and it could revoke your license after reckless driving in any game? <laughs> so if you're playing Mario Kart and you do something reckless, that could revoke your ability to drive in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> That's so backwards. It makes no sense. <laughs> Please, drive safely in Mario Kart. No bumping into one another. <laughs> Did you throw a shell? That's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> or would you rather a centralized video game police force and judicial system that could lock you up or sentence you to death for any wrongful murders? That one, 100%. So if you accidentally shoot a teammate in a game... You just don't get to play games oh. anymore. <laughs> no, but like everyone loves the morality systems in game. Well, everyone loves morality systems yeah. in games. When people like those systems, it just be a morality system across every game. I guess so. Yeah. Re being an asshole playing Smash Bros and just like, you know, being too good and I'm not good enough. So you're just being an asshole. You get morality points dropped for that because I can't have fun playing Smash Bros because you're too good at it. I want that to drop morality points. <laughs> <laughs> I just like the idea that. If you're, if you're playing, I don't know, like Gran Turismo, and you like wreck somebody in a harmful way that's like against the rules or something like that, you can then suddenly have to go play the crew too, crew harder. But instead of driving, you have to like walk across the countryside <laughs> while everyone else is driving around you. Yeah, that would suck. Or ride a scooter. Yeah, I think I'd have less problems out of the centralized DMV. So, because I typically try and like 
playing Gran Turismo, I try and play safe. Mario Kart, I... Unless I'm getting a speed boost for brushing into somebody, I think I'd have less trouble out of the DMV than I would out of the centralized judicial system. I'd spend a lot of time in video game jail. I would have a lot more trouble with the, like in Grand Theft Auto, when you're literally driving across whole cities, I'm cutting lanes, cutting traffic lights, almost running people over, so that would hurt me. So I'd go with the morale. All right. Fourth question. In a hypothetical game that happens to be exactly like Apex Legends, or maybe it's Apex Legends, who knows? <laughs> would you rather play as the strongest character in that Battle Royale game, but that character has a cold and sneezes frequently, both giving away your position and interrupting your ability to attack? Or would you rather play as the frailest character in that Battle Royale game, but every time you hear a sneeze, you get pissed and enter a 20-second Invincible Hulk-like state. I definitely So you're take... super weak and really vulnerable, but if you hear a sneeze, you become basically Superman. Well, Anton's Battle Royale master, so what yeah, are Anton's I'd, thoughts? I definitely go... Uh, the worst thing is, like, I don't use light weapons at all in Apex because there's too much of uh, you... You could use three clips in a person and have, and the reload animation will constantly be interrupting you and that'll cause you to die. So I'd rather have the Hulk-like invincibility state, like use my wits, be sneaky, learn my way around the map. If it's Apex, I already know my way around, so I'd rather be, avoid confrontations and then I hear a sneeze and I'm instantly Hulk invincible destroying that person so not only does the sneeze give away their position and they don't have much to fight back on top of that i'm overpowered yeah definitely take the in the sneeze enrage abilities all right so you're that sneaky kind of like survive as long as i can until i hear you sneeze and then i'm gonna kill the f out of everyone i right. agree yeah me but too. for the opposite reason which is that i don't the, the <laughs> sneezing would just be a huge pain in the ass all the time right. whereas the the other one is a great benefit only when you because the only character sneezing is the most powerful one right mm-hmm. so you're only going to hear the sneezing and hulk out in that one instance really now let me clarify do you mean the most powerful legend or like the champion because every game in um the most powerful legend okay most powerful legend. Yeah, so every every once in a while when you come across one of those then you'd be able to hulk out but not every time so I feel like yeah, just somebody kills that person right off the, the bat game with some benefits versus always all the time being frustrated by sneezing and people finding me constantly and then <laughs> sneezing and people are hulking out around me all the time too. If I'm around a certain character, I can't fight that certain character because they're too weak, which means they're too strong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I would probably do – I would do the strongest character with the sneezing. I actually got this idea from Resident Evil 2 if you're poisoned, like how you're like coughing occasionally and you like can't shoot for a little bit and then the zombies are getting closer. But I would probably do that just because I'm not good at these games anyway. So as much as I can, I know I'm going to die early, but just fucking run in and decimate as many people as I can right off the bat. I can respect that. You guys ready for the last one? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Buckle up. It's re- it's long. <clears throat> Would you rather attend a funeral for your favorite aunt or uncle, but 
Their last wish was for their funeral to be the biggest, coolest video game competition among their friend, family and friends. That's option one. One of your aunt or uncles has to die. Your favorite one. But it makes for a really cool event. Or, attend a super inspirational talk that gets you in a mood to turn your life around and start doing what you've always wanted to do. And then everyone gets together and goes to Harry Potter World and has a great time. But then you have to play Animal Crossing oh, the whole plane ride home. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Which would you rather do? I like Animal Crossing, so I'm going to pick <laughs> Animal Crossing. <laughs> but you have to play the whole plane right now. So I did suck. No, so I, it, initial thought was that's going to suck because you only want to play the game for like a half hour for a day for it to turn it down. But if you utilize the the cheating, you could just go into the system time on your 3ds, make it forward one day, and then go back in Animal Crossing and new things to do. So you could you could still play that game constantly if you're cheating. And I like some right. motivational speeches and stuff, so I'll right. feel motivated to be doing that, playing Animal Crossing, because of all the positivity I just had beforehand. <laughs> and no one had to die. I'm really into Harry Potter World and inspirational talks, but I just can't fucking play Animal Crossing. <sighs> yeah, I would go with the Animal Crossing then. As much as I love video games <laughs> and having the best event ever sounds super dope, yeah, I just... Plus, my fiance would love to go to Harry Potter World, so I take the bullet Harry for Potter her. World is so dope, so dope. Yeah, I. No one dying is always a preferable <laughs> option. Dang it! I'm the only one who would kill an aunt or uncle. <laughs> I can have dope gaming events without anyone having to die <laughs> as one of the prerequisites of. But the alternative is Animal Crossing. <laughs> Chad just really hates Animal Crossing. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have. I actually have a copy of the Japanese Nintendo 64 Animal Crossing that never came out in America. So, oh my gosh, I have no problem playing a lot of Animal Crossing. I'm, I'm not the most stoked person. I never drew any pentagrams out of amiibo cards for the <laughs> for the Switch Animal Crossing. But yeah, I'm definitely excited for it. Uh, that's one of those games that. My girlfriend's not really a gamer, but I definitely, she'll play Overcooked with me every once in a while, yeah. or yes. she'll play things yes. like yes. Unravel, or we played Donut County together, and so I see Animal Crossing as one of those things that she could get really addicted to, because she plays like a lot of similar decoration games on her phone, and she does, I could see the happy home designer aspect of Animal Crossing just completely sucking her in and just her having the time of her life. So I'm ex I'm extremely excited for Animal Crossing on Switch and yeah, a big fan of not killing people to play games. Alright. Well, none <laughs> of you guys are invited to my uncle's funeral. So <laughs> <laughs> That wraps up Game on Game Show and our podcast for today. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. I'm going to give you one more opportunity to plug whatever you want. Let's start with Aaron. Aaron, what would you like the people to follow you, tweet at you, uh, send you a note in a clamshell case? I don't know. A shit in a bottle. Uh, there you go. I mostly stream sometimes on Twitch, which is twitch.tv west. Other than that, I have a Twitter, which I just changed it to westw3 underscore ap. Send me tweets there. Other than that, I just gaming, looking to play pool, 
play with. Maybe some Anthem if anyone's interested. Uh, Perfect. We'll put those links in the show notes as well. And then Anton, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on Twitter and Twitch at Anton6, the three X's. So A-N-T-O-N-S-I-X-X-X. Uh, you can find my podcast, the Cheesy Controller Podcast. On podcast services around the globe, so we're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, anywhere you're where you're listening to podcasts, hopefully you can find us. Um, and you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cheesy Controller without the last E, if that makes sense, because character limits just really don't like long words. Um, uh, okay, yep, yep. And from our Instagram, we have our link tree, which will take you to our Discord. So if you want to hang out with me and some of the other people from the podcast and some of the people in our community, our Discord's always open and looking for new members. Dope. We'll put links to that in there as well. Thanks again, everyone. Until next time, here's our usual sign-off. Zelda's cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>